Amen. Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. I hope you've had a great week. I have. I've been, uh, I've been all over. I went to North Carolina to this week and was doing a cybersecurity conference up there. And, um, you know, <laughs> we've had just an awful storm come through Florida and hit South Carolina. Uh, you know, that hurricane, it completely devastated a lot of areas. But we've got friends that are down there, Greg and Darlene, and their house was spared. Amen. Praise God. We were praying about that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of funny. I use this as a testimony because the, the thing that came to my mind when mom put out the thing to Identity Church about pray for Greg and Darlene's house was I just, I just heard move and dissipate. Move and dissipate. So I prayed, Lord, move and dissipate. Well, sure enough, the storm come through. And they were like, oh, if the storm doesn't move, if it stays where it's at, and it, then it's going to like back up into their little channel and it was going to you know, overcome their house. Well, it moved. Amen? Amen? You know, we have power and authority over the storms. We actually, we were living in Gardendale. I tell this, I tell this because this is something that I've seen happen. I've, I've seen this happen multiple times. But this one time, I remember there was a tornado and it was bearing down on Gardendale and it was coming right at us and we're down in this we're down in the actual basement I've got my little iPhone and I'm watching the the storm come in and no lie the thing just dissipated like in fact you know everybody everybody loves to to watch who's your favorite uh weatherman James Spann Jerry Tracy I mean okay well we're watching we're we're watching uh James Spann the the suspender man, right? We were, we were watching him, and he said, that storm just broke apart. And I remember me and Heather going, yeah, it broke apart, because we said, dissipate. Go away. You know, that, that was just one of the, the many things that I believe that, that people need to do, is they need to start taking authority over their situation, you know, I can take authority in Alabama for something that's going on in Florida. If I got people in Florida that it's their thing, that's agreeing. But I can't agree for you and you not agree with yourself. Does that make sense to everybody? I mean, that's called that's called dictatorship. I mean, I'm serious. You know, faith doesn't work through a dictatorship. Through the end of a gun, I'm going to make you believe. No. Faith happens because you believe it. And I can believe with you, but I can't believe for you. See, this is an important thing because there's people in your families, there's people that are your friends, and you've been believing for them for a long time. Well, you know what? you got to believe in the name of Jesus that they're going to have an encounter with God that is going to make them believe. You know, I could have had everybody pray for me, come lay their hands on me till my, you know, well, I do have a bald spot. Wait a minute. But until I was completely bald headed, okay, I could have done this. And when I was a kid, I remember I believed in Jesus. But, you know, the thing is, is I didn't know him. See, I think that we need to have more encounters of people knowing Jesus than just believing in Jesus. So there's a, another step. 
I mean, it'd be kind of like if, you know, let's just say Vicky's in the crowd. Let's just say that I'd never met Vicky before, which I have many times. But if I had never met Vicky before and my mom was telling me about who Vicky was, I could know everything. I could see a picture, but until I actually met Vicky, I didn't know her. Well, you know, the thing is, is that there's people that they've believed in Jesus. They've seen the, the white the white Jesus that, you know, people put on, you know, they put in the churches over in, in uh, Europe and all that kind of stuff. And they go, oh, I've, I've, I know Jesus. No. You can believe, but if you don't have a relationship, then you're missing that extra part. And I think that's where our society has gone just completely bonkers is that we want to tell people about Jesus and we want them to believe in our version of Jesus. I don't even know why I'm on this, but I'm going to keep here for just a second. Do you know that our version of Jesus, that my version of Jesus doesn't need to be your version of Jesus? Does that make sense to everybody? Because your version of Jesus is going to be your relationship. Do you know that that mine and Heather's relationship is completely different than what yours and Heather's relationship is? Completely different. Y'all don't know Heather the way I know Heather. I've known her for 25 years. Do you know that at the end of the day, all I have to do is I have to have a relationship that I have with Heather. Y'all have the relationship you have with Heather. Well, it's the same thing with Jesus. Do you know that in every situation, every person's going to have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus might talk to you differently than he talks to me. Jesus is a little bit sarcastic to me. I mean, the Holy Spirit calls me, are you going to be dumb today? You know, there are times where I'm sitting, I'm, I'm really upset. Well, God, why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? And then guess what happens? Jesus comes along and goes, won't you just shut your mouth and just start believing? What was the problem? You know, your relationship with Jesus is going to be different than my relationship. You know, every single time in my life, I've had to, I've had to do the things that God has told me to do, not what he tells you to do. You know, if God tells me to do something, but he doesn't tell you to do it, is it a sin? No. Well, then why in the world would I impress my relationship of who Jesus Christ is upon you? See, you need to have your own relationship with Jesus where he tells you the stuff that he wants to tell you in the way that makes sense to you. Because without your relationship with Jesus, you're just going to know a version of Jesus that somebody's told you. You know, your version of Jesus, I hope, looks like the version of Jesus that we find in the Bible. And not a version of what somebody else told you. You know, I used to, I used to go to a church a long time ago. And um, one, of the, one of the things that there was a guy there that he used to tell me all the time. He goes, well, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. You ever heard somebody say that? 
That is stupid. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Jesus did not talk about hell more than he talked about heaven. Okay? That is, that is a falsehood of what Jesus actually said. Okay? Now, did Jesus talk about hell? Absolutely. Did he talk about heaven? Yes, he did. But you know what Jesus talked about mostly? Life. He talked about your life. He talked about the life of God that you have through Christ Jesus right now. How many people love John 3.16? Can, can I get some hands up here? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, everybody quotes that scripture. They love it. They think that, that that's the greatest scripture it's ever been. But that's not about going to heaven. Can I get an amen? It's not about going to heaven. It's about life. Now, is heaven in life? Absolutely. But there's also some other things that's in life too. So let's just just talk about that for just a second. If you had the greatest life that you could ever have, that means that you're going to have the greatest life here on earth. And you're going to have the greatest life in eternity. So why in the world would when, if I was to impress something upon you today, if I was to put my version of Jesus on you, would I say that Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven? Because he didn't talk about both of those very much. But he did talk about life. And he talked about it everlasting. And he talked about how we could get from the place that we're at, the the most dreariest place that we've ever been, and how we can be lifted out of it. Don't let anybody, I'm, I'm telling you all right now, do not let anybody impress upon you who Jesus is. You go find out for yourself. Because if you go find somebody else's version of Jesus, they're going to tell you something that may not be right. Can I get an amen? There are times in my life where people have told me things about God. You know, one of the commandments is that we should have no, that we should make no graven image about God. Do you know what that means? I shouldn't make a version of God that is not true. Do you know that if I don't make a version of God that's not true, then I don't think, well, the, the God of the Old Testament was meany God. He was really upset at everybody. He wasn't upset at everybody. Absolutely not. Do you know that who the Old Testament, after like Genesis, and was pretty much written to? Israel! Now, there was people in Europe and there was people in China and there was people over here in America. There was people everywhere. God wasn't putting laws and commandments on them. God knew that they were, they were in sin. God knew that they had all this, but he didn't, he didn't go around saying, well, I'm going to go judge these people. You know that Israel said that Israel is the one that said, yeah, I'm, I will be your people. And if I'm your people, then I'm going to follow your rules. Well, you know what? The law was created just like we got the laws here in the United States. How many people was under the speed limit when you came over here today? I know the the guys in the back right here. Even Matt, Dad. One time, most of you 
most of you broke multiple laws coming over here, okay? I'm just going to tell you straight up. I believe that you guys broke the law, okay? Now, you didn't, Carol didn't break the law. I got news for you. If, if you had broken a law here in the United States, the police come and get you, right? They, they come give you a ticket. They come do something. But do you know that the law of God said, hey, you're unclean. You're apart. You know, the law of God was created for a people. Now that we have Jesus Christ, he doesn't, he doesn't do but only two commandments. It's not even a law. It's a commandment. You know what the difference between a commandment and a law is? Does anybody? The law defines sin. The law defines sin. A commandment just means that there was a thing between me and you. See, I have some commandments between me and Heather. We, we talk to each other about everything. She's not going to go buy a car today without, without talking to me. That's one of my commandments. Hey, let's talk about all the finances. Do you know that She's not going to leave. That's one of the commandments. Guess what? I got the same ones. You know, every single time that you have a law put on you, there is a, there's something that comes along and says, if you break it, you get, you get broke. You go to jail. You cannot pass go. You don't collect $200, whatever it is. But see, if I have a commandment, it's about relationship. And I can break a commandment. I can break a commandment. And guess what? Now I've broken my relationship. Now I have to go work on the relationship piece of it. But, but Jesus didn't say, well, you go straight to hell. No. He said, I got, two, I got two commandments. How many people know the two commandments? Love your neighbor and love God. Those are the two. Right? Do you know that I love People, because I choose people. I'm not really sure how I got off on this. Where am I? I don't know. Anyway, love is choosing people. Like I choose each one of you. But I choose you to the level that I know you. Okay? Like I'm not going to walk up, you know, and say, hey, I've never met, you know, I've never met you before. Here's my wallet and here's my car. Just keep it for a little while, you know? But you know what? I will choose to understand who you are and where where our relationship is going to go. See, commandments are designed in order to have relationship. We set boundaries. See, boundaries are good things because that's where I know that we that's where I know I've crossed the line with you, right? See, when we end up, and I'm going to get on to my message, I promise. But when we have boundaries, that means that we have put something out there for each and every one of us to be able to say, this is how I trust you. How many people want to trust each other? Amen. Everybody should want to trust each other. But you know what? That's where the boundaries come in. We set those boundaries. We set those commandments with each other. We see how many of them people break. You know, 
I've been talking on faith. I've been talking on authority. Heather did a great job a couple weeks ago on authority. And we've been talking about the vision the last, this will be our second week. Do you know that in our vision, we're supposed to set boundaries with God and God's supposed to set them with us. You know, God never asks you to do anything that you say no. How many people would like to have that? I said that just a minute ago. How many people would like to have, you know, God just make you do stuff? Anybody? You would? I wouldn't. Every now and then. Well, I'm going to tell you straight up. That's called dictatorship. I don't want it. I want a relationship and not dictatorship. And see, our vision with God is understanding what he wants for our life. And sometimes that means that we've got to take time to understand our vision. Sometimes that means that we've got to get to a place of understanding what God wants for us. You know, God wants some really good things for you guys. Really good things. He wants to give you that life that's everlasting. He wants to give you a life that's full of peace. He wants to give you a life that's full of joy. But you know what? We can say no. You can say, no, I don't want that vision. I like strife. You know, there's people that like strife. I mean, I work with some people that they love strife. They love to come in and they love to to press everybody's buttons and they love to just, I mean, just cause a lot of junk. And you know what? Their life looks like that. Their life looks like somebody has taken it and just put it in a dryer. You ever seen clothes that's in a dryer? You just throw them in a dryer. You know, you can make them as nice and as pretty. You can go iron them, but you go throw them in a dryer. They're all crumpled up. Well, that's the way their life looks. It's crumpled up. And you know what? It's because they've never seen a vision of what God wanted for their life. They never saw how they're supposed to interact. We were talking about when we love people, we choose them. The agape kind of love just means that it's a smorgasbord. It means that it's a feast. It means I get to choose everything that's out there. Love is a choice. But you know what? A vision is a choice too. If you want the God kind of vision... It's just like Psalms 37, 4 and 5. You delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's what we talked about last week. But do you know that if, if we don't be pliable to him, if we don't allow him to do these things, then guess what's going to happen? We're not going to get his desires. We're going to get our desires. You may think, well, that's exactly what I want. Is I want my own desire. Well, you know what? A lot of times you're getting it right now. Everything that's going on wrong in your life, just go trace it back to something you desired because that's where it's at. See, when he gives you something, he gives it to you and he doesn't add any sorrow to it. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to move on. I've been, I'm going to get into this because it is a little long and we've got some stuff going on this afternoon. So we talked about this just a little bit. I'm going to hit it very high level. Habakkuk 2.2 this is where we get the idea of a vision. And it says in Habakkuk 2.2, it says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write a vision and make it plain upon tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is for an appointed time, but, when it, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. 
Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. What I want you to understand about this is, is that when we have a vision from God, God has given us a desire. He's shown us where we need to go. Once he puts that in our heart, we need to write that thing down. Oh, I've got stuff written down everywhere. Why? Because sometimes I forget. How many people have forgotten why you've went into another room? Well, guess what? I've got stuff written down from like 10 years ago that still hasn't happened. Well, I need to know that that was a vision. That was something that God had put in my heart. And I went and I wrote it down. Well, every once in a while I go back to it and I read it. Oh, where am I at on that? What am I doing with that? Do you know that we write it so that we can read it so that we can run? We write to read so we can run. Do you know that if you don't write it down, you're going to forget about it and you're not going to run after it. That's just one of the things. We're humans. Mind gets blown. We get older. Whatever it is, we need to understand that. But what I want you to understand about a vision is, is that it's a revelation. A vision is not something that I'm sitting here going, man, I can think up some pretty good stuff for myself. I mean, I, got, I know the guys back here in the back, y'all wanted to be in NBA basketball ball players, right? That was like y'all's vision. TikTok stars, is that what you want to be? You know, I look at the things that I wanted in my life. You know, I would more want to be like Elon Musk, have $248 billion, you know, live in a, you know, a 700 square foot house in the middle of Texas, you know? No. He lives in a 700-square-foot house in the middle of Texas. He's gotten rid of everything. But it's a joke, okay? But he, he has more money. He could buy anything he wants. Well, heck, I would love to be there. But do you know that that is not what the vision God keeps putting for me, is to go find out every way I can go and make money. You know, making money is good, but making money is so that I can give, but I can also pay my bills. How many people like to pay their bills at the end of the month? It's great to pay your bills at the end of the month. It is very necessary. You have to. I mean, I've never been homeless, and I'm afraid of being homeless. It's okay to be afraid of being homeless, okay? Be very afraid of being homeless. You know... I want you to understand that it's okay to go make money. It's okay to follow whatever's in your heart. You know, when I was five years old, I wanted to do computers for a living. I did. I wrote it down. Computer engineer. Remember, I put it down there. I had ADD and dyslexia. I didn't even, I couldn't even pass PE. I mean, that was how bad it was most of my life. So I get into high school. They give me a blank piece of paper. And I get a hold of, I go to VCF, I get a hold of, I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. Well, you know, I was an electrician's apprentice at the time. I was a plumbing apprentice. And all those things were good. But you know what? When I was five years old, I wrote down I wanted to be a computer engineer. It was a desire that was in my heart. But I didn't have the talent to back it up, right? I was... I had ADD, dyslexia, all that kind of stuff. Well, you know what happened? 
was when I got a hold of I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me, I wrote that down on a piece of paper and I put down computer engineer. Well, you know what? God came out of the woodwork. Well, okay, God went and laid it upon other people's hearts. I had people coming to me and talking to me about all kinds of stuff. Novell and, you know, all these different programs and applications and educations. Do you know that after I got my GED, I went from GED to a master's degree in computer engineering at UAB. Man, it was fast, too. I mean, it was awesome. It was great. It took me 11 years. 11 years. How many people have a vision down that it could take you 11 years? You know, you know the thing is, is that Dad's got a vision where he's going to retire when he's 90-something. That's, that's his vision. But do you know that, that every vision, everything that God put on my heart, every desire that I had, it didn't take overnight. It took me years. Do you know that when, when we find that an appointed time is a specific season, it's like a festival. A lot of times we don't understand this because we don't understand, you know, the way that most societies worked back when the Bible was being written. You know, most of the festivals that you find in the Old Testament, like Pentecost, everybody thinks Pentecost was a bunch of people going, Hallelujah, let's go speak some tongues. Woo! No, it was a harvest festival. It had nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. It was, we planted some stuff in the summer. And guess what happened? It grew up and we had a harvest. And so then we had a festival. And that was what Pentecost was. It was actually the fifth festival that they had during the year, Pena. But do you understand that when we see these kind of festivals, most of us go, ah, why do they have the festival? I don't know. I don't care. Well, you know, it actually was a festival marked the end of a season. Do you know that when I, got, when I got my master's degree, it marked the end of a season? It meant that I, was gonna, I wasn't going to do any more education. That I had overcome by Jesus my ADD and my dyslexia. I was working. I had been, I'd been an engineer for a long, long time working for the power company. You know, at the end of it, it was pretty sad. How many people's had a goal that you've had and you finished the goal and at the end of it, it was sadness? Nobody? I mean, once you, you have a really, really big goal, at the end of it, you know what it's called? It's called work. W-O-R-K. And you know what work means? It means work. <laughs> it means you got to go do something. Well, I'd been working the whole time. I went and I finished this thing. There was nothing else to do. But do you know that that at the end of all that, God was telling me that a goal is not my vision. I'm going to say that again, guys. A goal is not the vision. Like if somebody said, hey, I want to go get a college degree. Okay, great, fine. Go, Go into debt. That'll be great. But you go and you go get into debt... At the end of that, they give you a piece of paper, and then somebody might hire you, right? 
I mean, if you go get a sociology degree, nobody's going to hire you, okay? But you go get an engineering degree, or you go become a doctor, or you become a lawyer, okay? And you go sue everybody. Somebody's going to hire you, right, at the end of it. But then you've got to work. W-O-R-K. Well, you know, that's, that's when most people get depressed. <sighs> you mean I did all this just, just to work? Well, you know, that's one of the reasons why they had the festivals. The festival was to say this was what the work signified. It signified the awesomeness of this harvest. You know, in your life, you need to look back at the goals and the things that you've done. And you need to say, man, I see all the goodness that God had done there. And I see where it's taking me into the future. You know, there's, there needs to be some parties that you guys throw from time to time to go, let me, let me remember back when I had ADD and dyslexia and I didn't do the things that I'm doing now. Let me, let me go back to those areas and say, let's throw a party and let's believe God for the next thing. Because, you know, one of the things that I see here is that, you know, a vision or, a re- or a revelation, revelation is to be kept in our hearts and minds until the end of a season. Do you know that some of these seasons, these people went and died. They never even saw the end of it, but somebody else took on their season. We'll talk more about that. Faith is trusting in the plan and seeing the plan come to pass. Do you know that when I see the plan, I know that it's going to come to pass. When I was y'all's age, I didn't see it that way. I wanted the fast food way, right? I wanted it to, I walk, you know, walk up and it goes, in five minutes I get some sort of you know, satisfaction at the end of it. But see, our vision is for an appointed time. When is that time? Well, that's something between you and God. So in Hebrews 11.1, 1, everybody that has been to church, that, especially in the Word of Faith circles, this is one of everybody's favorite scriptures. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which were seen were, made, were not made of the things which were visible. See, what we have to understand here is that faith is having a trust in something that is not seen. And you may go, well, that that doesn't make sense. Well, when I was 18 years old, it didn't make sense that I was ever going to be a computer engineer. I couldn't see it. You couldn't. If you told me about it, I'd have laughed at you. But you know what? Everything that happened in my life materialized. I didn't see it, and then all of a sudden I did. And it was because every time I took a step on that path, more and more and more opened. So I'm just going to give you kind of a a definition of what this is in the Greek because a lot of times people read this and they go, oh, that sounds really good, Dusty. I really like that scripture. That's awesome. But what you have to understand is that now faith is the substance. This word substance means confident or to be confident. And it says, in of the things hoped for, This word in the Greek means to have confidence in faith. Okay? So this word hope means that I have confidence in faith. How many people 
I got some car guys in the back, right? So would you rather pull out on the I-65 in a four-cylinder or in a V8? V8, right? Most people. I mean, this is the thing. Do you have confidence in that V8 that when you pull out on the interstate, somebody's not going to run you over? Well, in that four-cylinder, you sort of hedge your bets, right? Okay, let me get it going. Let me let me get it going down the road. I gotta I gotta take this off ramp or this on ramp, and I gotta really you know get the speed up. But if you're in like you know a V8, that thing is like purring. You know that the moment I hit the gas, it's gonna drink like five gallons of gas, and it's gonna burn the tires off of it. Then you know you're not gonna get run over. You might run over somebody else. Then you gotta go to the gas station. So you just make the loop. You get on the interstate, go down, get in the gas station, and then you hit the interstate again every, every five miles. But do you know that, that I, when I have confidence in faith, that means that I know that when, that when I'm about to get into whatever God's telling me to, that I got plenty of gas pedal. I'm able to hit that thing and it's going to take off. Do you know that when faith is the substance, it's the confidence that I have confidence in the faith that God has given me. You know, Hebrews 12, which is just one over here, it says that every man was given the measure of faith. This is not something that we're trying to jimmy up. This is something God gave us. He gave us the V8. He said, let's get out there on the interstate and let's stretch our legs a little bit. But see, that's the problem is that most people get out on the interstate and they have a four-cylinder type of faith when God gave them the eight-cylinder. Do you know that most of the time in my life when I believed I was less than, it was because I did not understand what what he had given me. When it says the evidence, it's the proof of it. It's a conviction that I have that when I need to be able to stand and do the things that God has called me to do, that it's going to be there. When God says it's time, this runner is going to run with it. This runner is going to go out there and he's going to, he's going to hit the road. But see, this is the problem. When we don't live our life that faith is to be Confident in the things that we should be confident about faith. I know it's a convoluted way of saying it. But when I'm not confident in the things that I should be confident in. Then how many people is going to go do it? Not very many. I've been there. I've been there and done that. I have the t-shirt. You know why? Because I said, you know what? God, I just don't. I'm not. I'm less than. How many people's felt less than? I have multiple times in my life. Well, God, you may have called this other person to do better or to have more or to have a great life or to do whatever, but you didn't call me because I didn't get the same breaks. That's a conversation I've had with God. God said, shut up. What did I tell you? Now, God probably doesn't talk to you like that, but I need somebody to tell me to shut up. Because I'll just keep whining and whining and crying. But see, 
I go right back to Philippians 4.13, which was the very first thing he ever told me. I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. Wait a minute. You gave me the V8? I can use it? Go for it. See, that is where when we understand that the Word is framing the world's, that whatever God's Word was, that it framed the world's. It means whatever His Word is, He is going to put confidence behind it. That's one of the reasons why if He didn't say it, you shouldn't be confident in it. You know how many times in my life that I was confident in somebody else's Word? Oh, well, you, you can do that. Or no, you can't do that. See, that's one of the reasons why I, I deemed this, you know, when we were praying about uh, what we were going to call this church, I called it Identity Church. I was praying about the Lord told me to call it Identity Church. You know why? Because most of the time people, people have a label that they put on themselves. You know, how many people's worked at like a, a fast food place or, or, you know, I worked at AutoZone. They used to give us these name tags, right? And it would say sales specialist, right? And I was like not the sales specialist at all. Like you, I barely knew what the difference between a carburetor and like, you know, a valve train. I mean, I would just been like, I don't, I don't know. But do you know that at the end of the day, I took that label off and I put it down. But do you know that most people walk around with labels on themselves? Most people walk around with maybe their dad or their mom or, or some friend of theirs or people that they, they're frenemies, right? Called them, oh, you're, you're slow. You're an idiot. You're, you're less than. And people don't even realize that they put it on themselves and they wear it around. Do you know that, that when God's word calls you prosperous and blessed, see, what are you listening to? What are you confident in? See, I'm telling you that I'm confident in what God's word says, not about what other people say, because I had plenty of people telling me I couldn't. How many people want to be told, no, you can't do that? Nobody. But you know that's what the world does is the world comes in and tells you all the time, uh, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to live a prosperous life. You're not going to have the best things. You're not going to have a good wife or a husband or, or children or, or a home or cars or, or whatever it is because you're less than. Well, you know what? The only one wearing that tag is you. Because the Word of God says that you can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens you. That you are blessed in the city and you're blessed in the field. Yes, that's Deuteronomy 28. Well, guess what? In Jesus, I'm not cursed anymore. Because He said in His Word that cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Jesus became the curse for us. So I no longer am bound by what the world tells me. I'm bound by what his word tells me. And if I listen to his word, then I get to have this. I get to be framed. How many people would be fr- want to be framed by what Jesus says about you? Amen. 
I want to be prosperous and I want to live a good, healthy life. But see, I don't want the word of the world coming in. I want to find out what his word says. So let me just, I'm going to take just a minute. I know I can probably get through this part, okay? This right here is going to shake some of your trees. I've already preached this before, but some of you may not have remembered. But most of the time you think about this certain person and you think, this guy's the one I want to be like. And he was pretty good. But you need to understand that we can get in the trap of a goal versus God's vision. And if we get in the trap of a goal versus a vision of God, then what ends up happening is, is that we get into a place of darkness. Ah, oh, this got cut off. Mm. Okay, I'll try to get through this. Um, but Elijah's goal. How many people have heard the story of Elijah? Elijah was, Elijah was brought on, uh, brought into the scene and he was, he was given a task by God to go tell Ahab, hey, we're, Israel is going to be under a, a famine and a, um, no rain for like three years. Okay? So he goes and he tells Ahab and he goes and he lives at the broke Cherith. Then he goes and lives with the widow woman. But after all that happened, there starts to be a... Um, you know, this issue where Ahab's wife Jezebel goes and starts killing all the prophets of God. And so Elijah hears about this and he goes to, uh, he's going to go to Ahab and he's going to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to change some stuff up. He got mad, really. And so we, I'm going to bring us in here to 1 Kings uh, 18, verses 13 through 16, where... Jezebel had just killed all the prophets uh, of God that was in the temple. And Obadiah had went and he had put a hundred prophets in two caves. He broke them up 50 and 50 and he put them in two caves. And it says in verse 13, it says, It was not reported to my Lord of what I did when when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord from uh, of the Lord's prophets, 50 in a cave, and fed them bread and water. In verse 14, it says, And now you say, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So essentially, Elijah says, Hey, go tell Obadiah, go tell Ahab that I've come. And Obadiah says, Hey, he's going to kill me if I do that. And he goes, No, go tell him he's going to come. So in verse 16, So Obadiah went and met with Ahab and told him. And Ahab went and met Elijah. In verse 36 of King, 1 Kings 18, it says, And it came to pass at the time uh, of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. So essentially, the prophets of Baal are there, and he's basically, um, you know, he's doing the showdown. <whistles> wow, wow, wow. See, Elijah walked up and all these prophets of Baal are out there doing their thing. Jezebel, which by the way, Jezebel, her name has Baal in it. 
So she was a follower of Baal. She was also a priestess in Baal. So Israel was starting to follow Baal. But what happened here is Elijah says, hey, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to show you the power of God. So he said, he basically pulls them all together and says here in verse, um, well, right before this, he told him, he said, he said, you guys go and sacrifice whatever you need to, to Baal, and then I'll sacrifice after you. So they go and they cut themselves, which by the way, that's an actual spirit. We see it in nowadays times. There's a spirit that will come on people and they cut themselves. This is what Baal actually did. They would go and they would cut themselves and they would, they would to try to ease their pain. But see, what I want you to understand is, is that when they were done and nothing had happened, in verse 38, basically, after they had poured all the water on the sacrifice, three times, Elijah had asked them to go pour all of the water. In verse 38, it says, The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was there in the trenches. Verse 39 says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Eliza said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let them escape. And Elijah, and so they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishron and executed them there. So did the fire come down and burn all the prophets of Baal? No. Which, by the way, I've heard many, many people preach, well, the fire of God come down and, and you know, killed all the prophets of Baal. No, Elijah did. One man went and killed 400 men right then. You may be going, Dusty, what does that matter? Well, did God tell him to go kill 400 prophets of Baal? No, he did not. Do you know that in our lives, we want to, we want to make something permanent and we want to kill it as fast as possible. Do you know that that Elijah himself, he went down there with a sword or with whatever he had and he murdered 400 people. Now, Israel had already started turning away from the prophets of Baal. But Elijah was going to make sure that they completely were put to an end. So finally, Elijah kills all these prophets of Baal and he ends the drought. So, Woo, that should be great, right? You know what? It, was everything great? The answer is no. Ahab and, and Jezebel still ruled Israel. So the little stunt that, that Elijah did, which was awesome. I mean, calling fire down and you know, burning up the sacrifice and doing all these different things was great. But now, guess what? Elijah had just become just like Jezebel. I want you to think about that for just a second. Jezebel went and killed probably as many prophets of God as Elijah just did. You know, 
the way this had happened, I'm pretty sure those prophets of Baal probably saw the fire come down from heaven. They were ready to go, I believe in that God. You know, this kind of reminds me of, of Moses when he killed the one Egyptian for, for mishandling the, the Israelite. You know, this pushed Israel 40 years into darkness before, before Moses came back and actually took them out of the land of Egypt. You know that sometimes in our lives, we want the quick hit. We want the, the fast food way of doing things. We want to create opportunities to where I can have it now. I can have it now. Well, he did. He got it now. And guess what? In 1 Kings 19.4, Ahab, Ahab basically left, went and told his wife, Hey, look what Elijah did. He executed all of your prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, So let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of these by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw this, talking about Elijah, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. Which, by the way, they didn't make beer there. It was just a place. But it says, which belonged to Judah and left his servants there. But he himself went at a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. Now, what was Elijah's problem? I've got a couple questions, and by hands, I'm going to ask you this question. A, was he afraid of a bossy woman? Anybody? Was that his problem? He was afraid of a bossy woman? I'm afraid of bossy women. I mean, I probably wouldn't want to kill myself over it, but okay. So no one gave me an A. Okay. Elijah had low blood sugar. Issues and after he exercised, it made him suicidal. How many people want to go with B on that one? Anybody? Suicidal after low blood sugar? No. Okay. How about C? Elijah had a goal to end the Baal worship and have a revival in Israel. C. His goal was to stop it now. It was the nuclear bomb of everything that, that had happened. Do you know that we dropped two nuclear bombs on a particular country? And how many billions of dollars in years have we went by as the United States of America to make sure that country stays afloat? A long time. You know, you don't just do something like what Elijah did and that, ta-da, everything's perfect. No, you actually go and you make it worse. Do you know that a lot of the things that Elijah didn't understand was that he thought, well, you know, Ahab's going to see this and Jezebel's going to see this and, and because I killed all of her prophets, then she's going to have to come to the Lord and then we're just going to have a revival in Israel and everything's going to be hunky-dory, right? Well, no, Elijah didn't understand that Israel... Well, maybe he understood, but he didn't consider that Israel still split into two kingdoms. And that 
Ahab and Jezebel ruled and they were demonic. Do you know that every single time in your life that you have something that you want to get rid of fast and you take the easy route, there's a good number of times in your life where you're going to take that easy route and it's going to make it worse because you still have to deal with all the stuff that comes along with it. Yeah, Elijah didn't th- think this out. And in 1 Kings 19, 13 through 9, so, you know, essentially this is right after God basically said, hey, get up and go into the canyon. And he, you know, he brought the fire and the wind and he had the earthquake. And he said, I'm not in all of that. I'm in the still small voice. And after he had told him that, he said in verse 13, so, so it was when Elijah heard it and he had wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? See, Elijah had God talk to him about like God talks to me. God goes, Hey, stupid, what are you doing here? Why aren't you doing what I told you to do? Because if you were doing that, you wouldn't be sitting around thinking about junk. How many people's got a lot of time and they think about junk? Woo, I have. I've had a lot of time where I just sit around and I just mull over junk. And I'm not doing what God's telling me to do. I'm doing nothing. See, that's where Elijah was at. And it says here in verse 14, it says, I have been very zealous for you, Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel has forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Wait a minute. Israel's not trying to take their life. Jezebel's trying to take their life. And by the way, there's a hundred prophets, two, two different caves full of prophets, right? So he's lying because he sat around and feels sorry for me. And it said in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as the king over Syria, and also anoint Jehu, the son of Nisham, as the king over Israel. And this guy is going to replace Ahab, by the way, the demonic king. And Elijah, the son of, um, and Elisha, the son of uh, Shephat. Shephat? Shephat. Okay, something like that. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, And you should anoint him the prophet in your place. In verse 17, it says, And it shall be that whosoever escapes the word, the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill him. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who have not, whose knee has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shephat. And he was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen before him. And he was, and it was the, the 12th. And Elisha bypassed him and threw his mantle on him. So what did he tell him? He told him, he said, he said, the first thing is, is that you need to go and anoint Hazel. Then you need to go and anoint Jehu. Then you need to go and anoint Elisha. 
Well, you know what? Here we go, fast food again. He went and he anointed and threw his cloak onto Elisha. And then after that, 24 years later, Elisha went and anointed Jehu and Hazel. 24 years! That means Ahab and all of the demonic crap happened for 24 more years. Because one man said, I'm done. My little scheme and my little plan didn't work. By the way, he didn't even tell Elisha. In fact, I actually read this uh, the other night. In 2 Kings, Elisha said that the Lord came to me and told me that I am to anoint Hazel and Jehu. Didn't even have the courtesy to go and say, hey, the Lord told me to do this, but I'm going to have you do it. Elijah just said, eh, I'm done. Now, I'm going to tell you what. God is so good. How many people think God is so good? Oh, man. Elisha, see, most people think when you say Elisha, oh, he's a mighty man of God, called fire down from heaven, did all these different things. And you know what? He, he did all that. He had a lot of faith. You know what? But God was so good to him because he still took him up in a chariot of fire. Even though Elijah did all this junk and didn't do what the Lord told him to do and prolonged the evil for 24 years. You know, your vision matters. The things God is putting on your heart matters. And if you don't do the things that God is putting on your heart and you don't get his vision and his desires and start doing that, then guess what? Somebody else is going to have to come along and do it. I know plenty of people that their father and their mother didn't do anything for them. And then, hey, 24 years later, they go and they get Jesus. They, get, they have a relationship with him. And then that's when their life starts. How much more did God have a vision for that person and their family 24 years before? See, this stuff matters. Young people, this stuff matters. Right now, you can, you can get a vision from God for your life and He can put you in a place and you can go further and further and further. But you know what? If you just believe in Jesus and you just say, well, whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. Well, you know what's going to happen is that Somewhere down the line, somebody, maybe one of your kids, maybe somebody else in your family is going to have to be the one that's going to have to step up. Or somebody else that said, yes, I will do that, Lord. God's goals are not the end of the journey. You can have one goal and you can finish that goal. And guess what? You still got more to do. The vision is for an appointed time. The goal is but just one waypoint along that path. Do you know it says, you know, one of the things the Lord kept just putting on my heart was that God's word contend, continues with you or without you. That sounds harsh, right? 
I mean, how many people think that's harsh? Well, that's harsh, Dusty. Yeah, well, that's true. If you say no, God's going to keep doing it. God's going to go find somebody else to do it. You know, one of the things, you know, we just started this church like two years ago. I'm believing that there's going to be a day where there's going to be somebody else that's going to come along that's going to come and take this from me. I hope that's a long time from now. Not that I'm wanting to get rid of it, but what I want you to understand is that a vision is something that continues. A vision is not something that just that just happens once. Oh, well, I create, I finished my goal, and now life is just it's but bliss. No, a goal is for one purpose, and then you're going to get another goal, and you're going to get another goal that goes to the point of the vision. Matt, would you come on up here? You know, one of the things that I want everybody to understand is that you have a purpose and God has a plan for your life. Do you know that God has a plan for your life? I want you to say it. God has a plan for me. Oh, that was pretty bad. Let's do it one more time. God has a plan for me. Do you know that God's plan for you is better than the one you had before he gave this to you? See, there's people in here today, there may be people in your family that struggling to understand what to do next. And you know what? You just need to know God has a plan for you. And you need to spend some time with him to understand what to do next. You know, Jesus didn't just come but to save your soul. He came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. How many people believe that? Well, you know what? Let's start living it. Amen? Everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do something today because we got some visitors in here. I just wanted, just by hand, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you would like to today, I would like for you to raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody's saved in here. That is awesome. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm just going to pray over each and every person. I pray in the name of Jesus that, Father, you are giving us visions. That you've given us plans, Father, to be able to take the next steps in our life. That we're not just going to have one goal and get depressed and that we're going to get stressed out and that we're just going to say, okay, God, I'm done. But that, Father, you're going to show us the things that we're supposed to do. That you're going to show us the vision. And that vision is as far for some people as the rest of their life. And they're going to hand that over to someone else. But then there's going to be also smaller visions about how we raise our family and about what we do with our money and about where we go. God's economy is not the world's economy. 
God's peace is not the peace that the world gives. You can have peace in your family. You can have peace in your job. You can have peace in every avenue. So Father, right now I just pray over each and every person that you're just sending them out this week, that they're going to get more visions and more desires and that they're going to write the vision down, Father, and that you're going to start showing them how to live out that vision so that they will be prosperous and that they will have a great family and a great life. Father, I pray over everybody as they go this week, just help them to just spread the name of Jesus. Help them to run across people who they need to be brought up and lifted up and that they need peace and that they pray that peace on those people, they pray, they pray for them and that they see that Jesus is their next hope and that they have relationship. I pray for encounters with the Holy Ghost this week. I pray that each and every person that that sits down, that prays, that is listening to praise and worship, that you're just talking to them. That just like in John 10, 3, where it says that my sheep hear my voice and no other will they follow. I pray, dear Lord, that you're going to speak to them this week. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that as they go, that they are blessed and they bless others. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, I'll be down front. But if not, you guys go in peace and have a great week. Love you guys.